Here we go once again, Monday night, time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap for you, as always. However, we are not live tonight. Ira, always a good reason when we're not live. You're in California getting ready to go to the Rose Bowl. Yes, we're just taping a little bit earlier so I can go to the, I guess the people are listening to this who are listening to live would be they're just seeing the end of the Rose Bowl game because it runs to about 7.30. So we're taping it a little early in the day and I'm going to be leaving right after we're done taping and driving. I'm in downtown Los Angeles at LA Live at the Quarter of my Marriott when the team was staying at the JW Marriott, the Marriott, the uh, Michigan team, and then we'll just head over. And there are about a million tailgates. This is the Rose Bowl. So there was, I mean, some people left at like five in the morning for the parade. The parade was at eight, is eight o'clock. Uh, this morning, so it's uh, there's so much going on here in preparation of the Michigan uh, game. And Ira, I feel like you go to the Rose Bowl pretty much every year, so this is something you know very well. I'm sure you've already got the strategy down on when you need to get there, how to get there, wh- you know, where you want to sit, and all that. Well, I don't know. You know, I guess the strategy would be this is a very difficult game because, of course, I was there last year for Penn State, Utah. I've been here for Penn State, USC twice. I was the, one of the most exciting games in the national championship game between Auburn and Florida State, which was tremendous back and forth with Jameis Winston winning the national championship. But um, I think it's, this is a difficult. You go there, they have a part, they have a golf course that you park on this huge golf course. It's a complete mess to get in. You have no cell service. Like you are going to a zone in Pasadena where there is none. It's not like in the stadium you walk outside. So really, you're going to be cell free. You know, no cells forever. And uh, the stadium is is it's like a it's a relic. I mean, it's it's almost like you go to Rome in the Coliseum, but it is dilapidated. It's hard to get around. The, the sight lines are terrible. Everything about it is that it's beautiful and you're in history and it's the most famous one of the most famous uh, arenas uh, stadiums in, in the world. But the fact is, it is a it, it is a fun thing to do. There's a Michigan tailgate. There's an Alabama tailgate. There's other tailgates. Uh, and I said, people just go and they park there and they'll be there. They're there now. I mean, those parking lots open up super early and the people, sometimes people park in the parking lot, they walk to the parade and then, or take a shuttle to the parade and then come back. So this is a, a whole big thing, you know, in terms of it's fun to be at this event and, uh, you know, getting ready, of course, after this is over, then the Sugar Bowl is tonight between Texas and Washington. And, and Ira, you'd mentioned, we, you know, we were talking to Rodney Orr from Tider Insider last week that Alabama really travels and you're shocked to see the, the fan support at away games for Alabama teams. What have you noticed so far? Has it been, I mean, Michigan's a pretty big fan base too. Have you seen any kind of discrepancies in, in who's showing up for this? I'm, I'm not that surprised, but I think it's 60, 40, the 70, 65, 35 Michigan. I mean, I've not seen as much Alabama this, for a number of reasons. I think the main reason is this, is that Alabama has been in this playoff, it seems like, every single year. So everybody's used to it. There's been in the road. You know, they've been to these games. And if you're an Alabama fan, you're like, I'll wait to Houston. Like, if they win, I'll go to Houston. I'll wait to that. I think Michigan fans are, this is big for them. There's a ton. There's a huge alumni base. I was at an alumni function at the Beverly Hills Hotel last night, uh, yesterday, and it was just packed full of people. I mean, there's, there are they, they, there's so many Michigan fans here that they're running multiple events in multiple venues. I mean, the Santa Monica Pier has one down at the Galen Center where USC is at. Then there's one at Beverly Hills Hotel. Like, it's all over the place. I mean, I've seen very little Alabama fans. If you look at the stadium when you're for scalping purposes, it's almost like two to one where the price on the Michigan side is as opposed to the price of the Alabama side. 
I guess that's again because Michigan really this is only the couple last couple of years they've been in the playoffs. Um, and I feel that again, people Alabama fans are looking. We're going to go to Houston. I'll save the money and go to that. And they've been to, to these events, but this is really a great Michigan turnout for this event. And as and I said, yeah, you know, I told you in the SEC game, the Alabama, the Alabama fans turned out tremendous. But I think they're waiting for Houston. But still, look, there's tons of them. This is gonna. This is a great. They. Ticket price for this game is like six to seven hundred dollars. The average car or the, the cheapest price for the Sugar Bowl is one hundred and fifty dollars. So clearly, this is the bigger game in terms of the traveling. Of course, it's you know Texas and Washington. It's hard for Washington fans to travel to New Orleans, but this is still you know the much bigger of the two semifinals. Yeah, I was going to say if you check um, you know the tickets right now, tickets for the the entry level ticket for Alabama Michigan five eighteen entry level for Texas Washington one forty seven. It's <laughs> a pretty big difference for two games that really mean the same thing. But regardless, you're at the Rose Bowl. I can't wait to talk about this next week. When we, I think this is going to be a great game. So I'm, I'm so glad that you're there. Bobby Burton's going to join us around 7:45. Tell us about Bobby. Well, he's a, he's Mr. Texas football. He's been covering Texas football forever, and I can't wait to have him talk. I mean, I asked four or five people. I said, "Who should I bring in, bring on to talk about the Texas Washington game?" And everyone says Bobby Burton. He started on three dot com. Right, was the, the founders of Rivals. He is really someone who knows, and he's he's not only is someone who's on the business side, but is also knows everything about Texas. So it's real exciting, and there's so much enthusiasm. And I'm so fortunate. I was so lucky. I went to the Texas Kansas game this year. You know, not saying that I was sure that Texas is going to make the college football. Event my final playoffs, but it was my first time in Texas to see that game against Texas versus Kansas. So it was, I was pumped actually. I've now I've seen uh, all the teams in, in person. Like I saw Alabama in person at the SEC championship game. I saw Michigan twice against Penn state uh, and Ohio state. And then I saw Texas versus Kansas. The only team I didn't see in person was Washington. So Ira, let's uh, get into the NFL schedule here, by the way, at Ira on sports, you can follow Ira anywhere across social media is going to have some great pictures up from the Rose bowl uh, here any minute now. Well, it was the game of the week, the game with the most implications. We're talking about, of course, the hometown Miami Dolphins taking on the Baltimore Ravens. The AFC um, AFC conference hangs in the in the balance here, and the Dolphins just got crushed, Ira. And this was a close one early. You, the game started out, they, they were kind of feeling themselves out. Then in the second quarter, Baltimore just <laughs> took the, took the uh, handcuffs off and just went nuts. Lamar Jackson is pretty much cementing himself as the MVP where maybe a month ago he wasn't even really in the top three, top five conversation. But huge win for the Ravens, 56-19 over the Dolphins. Well, everything, it was – it's a shock. I mean, it's one that just shows you what the NFL is. It's a week to week. And, and you get so excited. You look at the Miami game and you're like, this is the, one of the biggest wins in the Dolphin history. And certainly for Mike McDaniel. And I said that and against Dallas, but then to come back, I mean, that's what's so difficult in the playoffs too. You have these emotional, hard fought wins. And it's not like you can rest for two, three weeks. You have to play another week. You have to play the next week. And Baltimore came in. Baltimore again. All the problems that the Miami's have had on the road. They're four and four on the road. So that's you know the major thing is they're five hundred team on the road. It's certainly against a good team, and they and they they played poorly when they you know when they went to England. I, I think that this is this was just a disaster for a number of respects. Oh, Jalen Waldo was injured coming into the game. We don't know what his status is going to be, even for the playoffs. Uh, then Mostart comes out with an injury. That was We didn't think that was going to hold him out of the game, but suddenly it held him out of the game. But then during the game, to have Tua hurt his shoulder, which he says is nothing, but still he threw two touchdowns, two interceptions, didn't have a good game at all, sacked three times. Uh, that's a concern. I mean, anything with Tua, any injury is a concern. And then, you know, the injury to Bradley Chubb, there's by far their best defensive player who looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the year. And then, then the 
whole question of Mike McDaniel is like, why when the game was in, the, you know, when you have no chance, you're getting losing by three touchdowns. Do you have the starting defensive players in the game where they potentially could get injured? And then he admits it's a mistake. Now I like his honesty and it's truth. And he said, if he could do it over again, he won, but that's bad. And then Xavier Howard also got hurt in the game. So now Dolphins have all these injuries. They, this, this is, this is spiraling. Now, I would say, I mean, it's amazing how you go from one week, you win against the Cowboys and then you go up to Baltimore and then you have this. And then Baltimore for the ball's perspective, they're like, they now have the number one seed. They have to win two games. They're in the Super Bowl. But, and most importantly, most, most importantly, Todd Munkin, who is their new offensive coordinator, or Greg Roman. Remember what the problem was the last few years? Lamar Jackson at the end of the year looked like he was just you know, trying to get to the finish line. He was either injured or banged up, couldn't play. He looks healthy. He looks fresh. And that was the new offense, which is that we're not going to run Lamar Jackson 15 times, 10 times. We're going to pass the ball. We're going to do everything they've done. It, it, no matter what the record was, they, got, they actually got the best of both worlds. They said they weren't really concerned about the record. They want to keep Lamar healthy. To some extent, they definitely did. They now are 13-3, and had the best record in the FC, have a bye, and they get to rest Lamar. I mean, everything is worked out perfectly for the Ravens, and they had all the injuries to everyone else. They've lost their two best running backs. They've lost defensive players. They've lost Mark Andrews, their tight end. But, boy, a bad situation for Miami and a great situation for Baltimore. And, and you know what's funny, Ira? Obviously, you know, we live in South Florida. I'm around a ton of Dolphins fans, and all of them are like, season's over. Like, we're we're done. There's no playoff run coming. <laughs> I get the injuries. That that's That's totally a real thing. But I'm not going to be ridiculously surprised if Miami goes into the playoffs, wins a game in the first round, and then beats Baltimore down the line. I know it sounds crazy, but this is the NFL, and, and Mike McDaniel is going to retool and, and scheme something up for the next time he sees Lamar Jackson. I'm just not – I'm not ready to bury the Dolphins yet, and and Vegas is because they're at plus 1,100 to win the Super Bowl. They're the, the 10th selection. Like, I just don't know how you put them ahead of like a team like Kansas City – who, yeah, they won yesterday, but they don't look good at all, and they're 750 to win it all. So I'm just a little baffled by this. But my point is, I'm not burying the Dolphins yet. Well, you can't bury the Dolphins, and you also cannot – the idea is – I think you can't bury the Dolphins, and you can't extol the Ravens. Look, the Ravens are where they want to be. But Lamar Jackson is 1-3 in the playoffs. They had been the number one seed before. I was out there. They lost to Tennessee. I was at the game a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, where they, they were, you know, I said that one of the concerns I had was they're at the game. They were favored by 14 points. They, it was, Ryan, you know, Ryan Tannehill. They were going to destroy him. And they were taking pictures before the game. They did, And they got, you know, they got blown out of the game at home. So this is a, a, this is a Baltimore team that, you know, my, even my Steelers fans are like, oh, you know, we're the Ravens. We beat the Ravens earlier this year. Like, this, this Baltimore team is not, I mean, they make a mistake. They've got Edwards at running back. They really have, you know, Zay Fowers at, at, at wide receiver. They, they, they have holes. They have problems. I, they're not unbeatable. It was just, yeah, I, I guess in the playoffs, Lamar Jackson has said one win, three losses. So he's like, he, he, if he loses again, he's going to become like a James Harden player. You know, up two MVPs and really nothing in the playoffs to show for. So there's a lot of pressure on the Ravens. But I, I agree with you. I don't think there's a great AFC team. I think anyone, if you just get in the playoffs from the AFC, any single one of the team, and Steelers included, I know that sounds crazy, but any team that gets in has a chance to make the playoffs. That's no, to make the chance to Super Bowl. I, I, I totally agree with you. And now we're looking at, Buffalo is the sixth seed, and they're the second choice in Vegas to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I know they play the Dolphins next week, and obviously things can drastically change, but that's wild to me that a team that wasn't in the playoffs three weeks ago is the second choice in the AFC. It's just kind of crazy. Let's go to Saturday night, though. Ira, we talk about weird scheduling things that the NFL has done this season. This was weird to me. So no Monday night football game. Why wouldn't you play three games on Saturday? Why is there 15 games on Sunday and one game on Saturday? I just thought that was a little strange. 
Well, I think one of the reasons, you know, I, it makes no sense. I mean, the college football bowl games were absolutely horrendous that day. So the point is, I think you really could have, they, you know, they certainly don't care about the NBA. I think there was, I don't know why. I mean, it's very weird that they, I think it was one aspect is that they did not want to give the teams because next week there will be three on Saturday or two on Saturday and then the rest on Sunday, no Monday night. So, but no, you, it is weird that you're, you're waiting for another game, especially when you're sitting through the Georgia demolition of Florida State. <laughs> you know, you're in the point, you're like, wait, there's going to be another game on right now and i think that's where there was a there was a question where you know why there wasn't that game that, that you could have through that whole day it seemed like the perfect day to just go three college football games i agree i was twiddling my thumbs all day waiting on that night game so the night game came and the night game ira will live in infamy i this is one of the worst things i've ever seen and if someone hasn't seen this game cowboys won 20 to 19 dan campbell for what it's worth the guy's got cojones. I mean, he just was doing everything he could to try to get a two-point conversion in after uh, the Lions score a late touchdown. He said, we're not tying this game. We're not going to overtime. I'm going to win or lose on the field. I respect him for that. I don't respect the refs for how this game ended. Do you want to talk about this at all? Yeah, just let's talk about the end real fast. Uh, the, the two things is the Cowboys threw away the game. Remember the Cowboys, because it was 17-13 Dallas, they had scored, and then Goff was you know driving down. When he throws that interception, so he threw an interception with uh, two minutes to go in the game, Dallas, and they only had two timeouts, and I'm thinking, this game's over. I mean, this is it's over. He threw an interception in his own territory, on his own 26-yard line. You're like, they make get the ball with like a few seconds left. But what did Dallas do? I mean, what was, what would, you know, they, they call he, that incomplete pass on second and 14. I mean, Troy Aikman made that comment was saying, right now, this game would have been over. I mean, why would they throw that? Just run the clock out. That was crazy what Mike McCarthy did. I don't understand that play at all when, when really all you have to do, and this isn't a case of like, you know, getting the first down of the game's over. Really just, it, it is just stupid. That was a stupid play. I don't understand. I don't care if it was wide open. You just run and get another 49 seconds. They were out of timeouts. You could have ran the clock down to at least 50 seconds, you know, when you kicked that field goal. So it was a huge mistake by their part. And then, uh, then for then for Detroit to come down and, and Jared Goff, that drive was tremendous. And I think what we're all talking about is the fact that uh, the, the you know the lineman reported in, whether he reported it or not. The officiating crew said we didn't hear him report. And then they passed it for the two point play and the, the, to, to the win. You, I mean, you, you all thought Detroit won this game. I mean, they, they, it, was, it was a two point play. It was one, and they said he didn't report. Now, how many times have you heard, seen this, though? It's very rare that you haven't seen it, but you watch the video, you watch the audio, you look at this crew that has a problem after problem. Totally a mistake. I mean, I, I, it was awful. This is a this is horrendous for the league. This game mattered because now Dallas. So what does it matter? One game. Dallas now will have if they play. Well, Dallas will have home field instead of Detroit. Detroit could have been the number two seed with the home field if Detroit plays Dallas. So this was a huge, huge loss, and uh, I can't understand it. I mean, and then the officiating crew, Allen, the referee, came out and said, "Well, they, he didn't report." But you look at the video, you look at the audio, you look at everything, and it, it's clear that these guys report. They show him report. They show him report. Then they show the the ref go to the the defense and tell the defense something, and then the, the call on the field wasn't illegal man downfield. It was illegal touching, and this is so, like this is what's so confusing about this because there's multiple aspects to why they're wrong. So th- the play starts and the eligible receiver we think kind of grazes a defensive end going out. So that's the illegal touch then. He he wasn't supposed to inter, you know make contact with him. So maybe that's the call. Then there's reports today that the referees messed up and made someone else an eligible receiver that wasn't supposed to be, so it would be on them then. Regardless, this is horrible officiating. And at the level, like you said, this is big magnitude. This wasn't Falcons-Bears yesterday. 
This is Lions-Cowboys for the number two seed. This is the best the Lions have been in 30 years. This is just a travesty for, for the NFL. Yeah, and this was bad. I mean, this isn't like, were you was it a catch or not a catch? Like the whole Des Bryant thing where was it a catch? Was it in the hands? I mean, this is at the level. This is really, now it's not at the level because we're in the playoff game. Remember the Saints-Rams game where they missed the pass interference penalty, which was clearly pass interference. Where it was, like, you know, tackled him. Like yeah. the guy, <laughs> throws him out of bounds. I mean, this was, this was from the Saints and cost the Saints the game. I mean, this, the whole country's watching this. I mean, they, they put uh, Jimmy Johnson in the ring of honor. He gave a fantastic speech, and I love the fact that he stand left and heard that speech, get all the Cowboys come out, so there was all that amateur, but i got to give the Lions credit. They, they really played. They stayed in this game, and that drive, the last game, and then they had the chance to do the two-point conversion again, and they, if he would have completed it, they jerked off just missed it by an inch, and they would have won the game on a second two-point conversion. It, it almost had that, that uh, the USA versus USSR thing where they kept denying the USA for winning. You know, they kept saying, giving USR another chance, and making them another chance, another chance, just trying to make them win the game. It, it felt like that. It's felt like the refs were going to do everything possible for the Cowboys to win. And you just don't want that to happen. And a game that is so visible, it wasn't like one of those, you know, many of you just said 13 one o'clock games where no one's trying to see what happened. The whole world was watching this game and watching the refs mess up. And it was a play where it's like, what are you doing? Like, clearly the guy reported and then he lied about it. The ref is, you know, like, and then clearly the NFL saw there was an issue because now they made an announcement that this crew is not going to be in the playoffs. So they knew that there was something matter what was going to happen. Yeah, there's people obviously on the internet are digging up stuff like, you know, they blew this game in week eight this crew messed up this in week 11 that caused someone to win and yeah like you said obviously the nfl is acknowledging there's an issue taking this this team out of the playoffs one thing i will say and you you touched on something that that resonates with me lions played good here and this is a team the cowboys we know they're really good at home they score 40 points a week at home held them to 20 points and a lot of times the cowboys offense look futile so the lions kind of the knock on them was their defense is falling apart here at the end of the season Played pretty good defense here. Deserved a win. Another thing that I take away from this game is how good CeeDee Lamb has been. And I kind of, he wasn't on my radar as best receiver in the league. And they showed the stats that from week six, he's got the most yards and most receptions in the league. That's dangerous. And I know Brandon Cooks is the two. He's not the greatest, but that's not a bad number two. This is still a real attack. We were kind of, we love Tyreek Hill. And we were putting him, you know, like he should be in the MVP conversation. I'm not saying... CeeDee Lamb should be in the MVP conversation, but I am saying, man, what a season this guy's having, and he may be better than Tyreek Hill a season-wise. Well, 13 catches, 227 yards, and that touchdown on the first touchdown, they had 92-yard touchdown pass, which is unbelievable, where I have no idea why the Lion defensive back, when you know you're on single coverage, just fall. You can't fall down. Whatever you do, let him catch the ball for 40 yards and then just tackle him. You can't fall down and let him run in there for 92 yards. But that was, like, the whole first half, that was the only mistake the Lions made, and they let that. But I thought Dak played really, again, I am a big Dak fan. He had 350 yards, two touchdowns. He had that great drive at the end, and, and, and Jared Goff played fantastic at the end too. So it was both I just feel bad for Detroit because that when if they play again in like three weeks or four weeks, this game should be in Detroit, but it'll be in Dallas. But at least now Detroit has you know confidence that they can go into Dallas and play a really tough game. But if you're a Lion fan to think what it means, what it meant for the city to have a playoff game when you haven't won since the fifties, you know, all that other aspect of that the magnitude of the game. Uh, so I feel bad for the Lions to some extent with a lot of respect. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Follow Ira anywhere at Ira on Sports. Bobby Burton, Mr. Texas, joins us at 745. Gets uh, ready to go for this game coming up here in a little bit. Steelers and Seahawks, Ira, you're a big Steelers fan. And this is, both of these teams are kind of like Jekyll and Hyde's of the league. You really don't know what you're getting week to week. The Steelers, for a while, we were ready to bury them. Now, all of a sudden, they're coming on. They're 9-7, and seven, so another 
a plus 500 season from Mike Tomlin, which is just amazing considering, you know, the, the hand he was dealt this year. Big win for the Steelers here, Ira. And this the Seahawks, this is like, are they a good team? Are they not a good team? We kind of place them in that same category that we do with the Steelers. Yeah, and it's uh, Mason Rudolph played well. I mean, 274 yards, and the fact that they got the running game going, Najee Harris had 122 yards rushing, Jalen Warner at 75. Everybody knows Seattle's rush defense has been terrible all year, and the Steelers exploited that for the good win at 30-23. I think part of the Steelers, I mean, they, they won some games they probably didn't deserve to win, and then when they went from Kenny Pickett to Mitch Trablitsky, that might have been, you see how Mason Rudolph is playing. He's just completing the passes he's supposed to complete. As I said, that my answer with Mason Rudolph I don't know if he's the answer, but I know watching him play is that Kenny Pickett is not the answer for the Steelers. And we're going to get into this in a second, but I, I think the Steelers should go after Russell Wilson, and I think Russell Wilson should join the Steelers. But um, this is great. This was a good – I mean, this this team hung in there, and I just wish they would have made that change. They lost a couple games with Trubisky. If they had those extra two games, they'd be in the playoffs. They Really, the Steelers playoff hinges next week. If, if Buffalo wins, the Steelers are – are probably out and, and if Buffalo and Jacksonville win. If, then there's so many different variations of this and this and this. But really, they, the, the Buffalo-Miami game is crucial for the Steelers next week. So Cincinnati and Kansas City, we brought up Casey earlier, I did. Their odds right now to win, to win it all are plus 750, the same as the Cowboys. And I'm watching this game yesterday, and I'm just thinking for like, what, the fifth, sixth week in a row? I don't think this Chiefs team is very good. The, the Bengals were... They had this game in hand in the third quarter. They fell apart in the fourth. Kansas City gets to win 25-17, to 17, but there's really no part of this Chiefs team that's selling me that could ever beat the Ravens. And the fact that the Dolphins are plus 1,100, I think the Dolphins would beat them by 10-plus points. This team, it's definitely not the team they were last year, and, and I don't really get the praise for them after not seeing much. This was... Harrison Butker kicked six field goals. This this wasn't an offensive explosion for Patrick Mahomes and the boys. This was field goals and a team playing on a backup quarterback that they beat. I, I just don't love it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is all, this is one of those things where people are going to keep saying Kansas City because of Mahomes. And I just think that's what they're in the playoffs, his ability to make plays, his ability to have a monster game. But, I mean, I, I think Rasheed Rice is coming on. He had 127 yards. He has to, they need a wide receiver. They need somebody. They don't even have any wide receivers, so he's one. And then Kelsey had a bad game. This is one of the worst games Kelsey's ever played. Three catches, 16 yards, and didn't play well. Um, but this is a situation where I think every, when you look at the Chiefs, you're like, the defense is okay. I mean, everybody thought the defense was super great. Maybe their defense is good, not great. And but I think uh, that look, they had to, this was a must. This season would have been if they would have lost this game, I think it would have been over. So it was a, this was beyond a must win, and uh, they pulled it out. But it wasn't you know Pacheco came back and ran well. But they're just you know they're, <laughs> the AFC to me. This is again, it's a wide open. You're going to see every AFC game is going to be close. And again, the Ra- the Ravens to me can be beat by anybody, and the Ravens can beat any you know anybody can beat anybody in the AFC. Hey, uh, this. You're absolutely right, and that's why I think some of the odds are, are, are just a little crazy. Like I said, with the Dolphins being so far out there, i got to throw a little bit of money on the hometown team. Do you want to explain what is happening in Denver? Uh, the Broncos win. They beat the Chargers. The Chargers are terrible, 16-9 to the final on this one. The Broncos bench Russell Wilson, and this is another one like with the end of the, the Cowboys-Lions game. We're hearing conflicting reports. I'm hearing they told him he needs to restructure – and he says no, so they bench him. I, I, I really don't know what's going on in, in Denver, but it does seem like maybe Russell Wilson has played his last snap. Yeah, well, I, I think this is – I mean, I think this is what's happening in Denver is uh, Sean Payton. I, I, 
there's a lot of confusion in terms of what happened. So Sean, when they made the trade, it, the team with Pat Bolin as the owner, so the team was being sold to the Walton family. In the middle, it's rare do you see a team. Remember the Suns had that big trade with the Children Durant. The trade was done when Ashiba then made that trade. So it was like in the mixture where the trade, these trades don't get, like the, when you buy a team, it's not like you go to a store and just buy something. It actually takes a long period of time, and there's that this this period of time in the middle where really nothing happens. You see teams like, well, we can't make a move. It was very rare that a team traded two firsts, two seconds, and other players for Noah fans and Locke for Russell Wilson for this major trade when there really was no owner. And, and so that was the trade where the general manager makes this trade and takes on this financial commitment of Russell Wilson's contract, everything about that. And then, so last year, the, the Hackett was a terrible coach, and Nathaniel Hackett was awful, and Russell Wilson had a bad year. But if you look at his stats this year, I mean, he threw, it was 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions. That's Patrick Mahomes' numbers. I mean, he's due for 3,000 yards. They were, you know, they had won four or five in a row. They were playing well. I, I, and I think, my opinion, this is ridiculous. Sean Payton, first of all, yelling at when he when he yelled at Russell Wilson on the sideline, that was pathetic. You know, you don't even even you don't yell at a at a, at a first string quarterback like that, let alone Russell Wilson, just to embarrass him. And his comments about we want Russell uh, to not kissing babies anymore. We want to focus on football. Well, you're the starting quarterback at the NFL. Guess what? Kenny Pickett's kissing babies. Everyone's kissing Dak Prescott. That's what you do. You're the face. That's why he's the Walter Payton Man of the Year. You want your star quarterback to doing those things. Did it take away from his game? No. They made a big thing about him having an office at the Denver Bronco facility. You ever see how big the Denver Bronco facility is when ESPN has reports? That thing is enormous. Every, every player could have an office. The, the interns could have an office. Who cares that he has an office in the facility? If they have room for him to have an office. I think this, this whole thing, Sean Payton did not like Russell Wilson, but my opinion on this is he, you, then don't take the job. Don't take the job because they are now throwing away by cutting Russell Wilson. They are going to have dead cap. When they mean dead cap, mean all the money they owed him the couple years, they can trade, you know, get rid of, you know, they won't, they, they save 35 million in injury where they don't have to pay him another guarantee, but he's still getting 140 million guarantee. But the number is like $85 million. And before that, this dead cap on the cap of, you know, a couple hundred million, it's, it's 40% of your cap is on a, for a player you can't have. The highest dead cap before was what was Aaron Rodgers at 40 and Matt Ryan at 40 for the Falcons. So this is double whatever dead cap has been. The, the Broncos have no chance next year to be competitive at all. They won't be able to have to start cutting players. They won't be able to. It'll, it's a disaster. Why do this? Bring Russell back. He's a good quarterback. You're already paying him. And the other thing is, if you're another team in the league and you want to sign Russell, guess what? He's earning this money. It's all guaranteed. You don't. You could pay a minimum because he doesn't make its offset. So if you pay him a million, then it's one million less than the Broncos have to pay. So why would anyone a team any team want to help the Broncos out? And Russell's not making any more money himself. So he'll say, just pay me whatever the minimum. And uh, I think this is terrible. I think Sean Payton, his comments were terrible. I think how he handled this was terrible. Everything was terrible. I'm not a fan of Sean Payton. I mean, I don't know what – he's been suspended for, for a year for bounties on, on quarterbacks. I don't know why he thinks everyone thinks he's just a genius. He goes on Fox during his year off, and everyone thought he was so smart, but he's won one Super Bowl. And for him to actually do this to a team, I, this is terrible. I, I'm totally against it, and I hope the Steelers get Russell Wilson. I'm a big Russell Wilson fan. I like how he played this year, and he you know, bounced back. And I, I just think it wasn't his fault they gave up 80 points to the, the Dolphins. No, all great points. It's kind of a, a, a dumpster fire, you know, there with 
with how everything's been handled, yeah, Sean Payton's giving a lot. He, like this is like almost Belichickian with how much control he has over the situation. But is it, is it warranted? Like you said, did he did he win six Super Bowls with this team, or did he just get here and kind of just make the problem worse? Regardless, things are a mess. I'd be very happy if Russell Wilson got over to the Steelers for, for, for your sake. But regardless, dumpster fire I there. Think you have to. I think I, what I said is Russell Wilson could not be traded because I said no team would do this. No team would throw away a season. They're do, for for what is he that? bad that you, he threw 3,000 yards 20 I mean that's the Steelers quarterbacks combined are not even close to that so I don't understand there's other quarterbacks you go throughout the league Russell Wilson is still a top you know at least above average NFL quarterback so you're going to tank a whole season because you don't like let at least let him because Sean Payton doesn't like it's not his performance it's he doesn't like him and who's he going to get him to replace Jared Stidham like who's going to be better is Patrick Holmes walking through that door is John Elway a young John Elway coming back there is Peyton Manning coming back like what's he going to do what is Sean Payton's plans for next year i just think this was a disaster i think this was terrible i just to do this and uh and, and now you have an it's just it's unbelievable to take this dead cap because they're gonna have to cut him there's no way you know they can't bring him back I mean, it's, it's over and then he's untradeable so the point is with the contract but that's why i think this is a disgrace this is a disaster if sean payton for if i'm a bronco fan i'm like you should take it don't take the job like just don't take it like if you're not if you can't work with russell wilson don't take the job i, I would bring russell wilson's high school football coach there or someone because you, his contract was unmovable and and you have to work with him and now they chose to throw away next year. So as a Giants fan, Ira, I think it's time to buy an Arizona Cardinals jersey. This is his team. I'm calling them the NFC East Killers. Knocked off Dallas, who everyone thought was just going to steamroll. And then they beat the Eagles yesterday. And, man, if you're an Eagle fan or if you're in the building there, this team has really just not lived up to to the potential. And 35-31 is the final here. We like Nick Sirianni, I think, but I, you have to be kind of looking around like losing Gannon, losing Shane Steichen. This team is 100% not the same team that we saw last year, and this was a huge game for the Eagles. This was supposed to be a, basically a bye. They had three Giants, Cardinals, Giants to end the season. They were in the driver's seat in the NFC East, and now they're in the back uh, in the rearview looking in. Well, this is one of those situations where you don't look at the players they lost because Philadelphia was able to retain most of their players, you know, that made it to the Super Bowl, you know, last year in terms of and 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 and, and were there, you know, just barely lost the Super Bowl to Kansas City. So you bring almost everybody back when and their young players that you think are going better. Then they had a great draft. And then you lose your just your offense coordinator to Indianapolis and your defensive coordinator to Arizona. You're like, oh, you replace them. There's other people. But Wow, because you see how Arizona's playing, you see how Indianapolis playing. You're like, maybe defensive, maybe this day they were the they were the secret sauce to the to the Eagles, and not the not Sirianni. And this is a major thing. I mean, this was this is this is one of the, I cannot think of a case where coordinators leave. Now Alabama has had both their offensive defensive leave, but everybody knows Saban. You know, he can replace every year. He can bring. He's amazing. People, but he takes the bad coordinators that come there, and they look good. So the point is, it just shows that these coordinators made the difference because this Eagles team is nowhere near what they were last year and they weren't playing well at the beginning of the year when they were undefeated and now to lose that a, a literally a must win to the other they're just throwing the division away they're 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 they, this this is like this will be like kansas city losing i mean this is this is how bad this loss would be and they did lose this game so this is a really bad and i don't know what the eagles do at this point i mean they, they they've lost to san francisco 42 19 dallas 33 13 seattle 20 to 17 and now arizona 35 31 they've lost four to the last five games and they're just limping to the to the playoffs so let's talk about uh, NFC North matchup, Green Bay Packers versus the Vikings. And this was one, I, I really don't know what to make of Jordan Love at this point because 
one week we're ready to bury him. He's a bomb. He doesn't belong in this league. The next week it's this is this is our our quarterback of the future. He had a great game, three touchdowns. They got a big win. But I don't know if the Vikings are that good. I'm just I don't, I don't know if they learned anything from, from this this Packers win. No, I don't think there's nothing to learn. I think that Jordan Love learns enough that I think that I, I just my feeling of him is okay. <laughs> I'm not exactly. Eli, because he's had good games and he's had bad games, but he's a young quarterback and he's had that. But the Vikings, uh, the Vikings, they just keep you know Josh Dobbs and then Nick Mullins and I mean, once since losing Kirk Cousins, they've just been they, they sort of they they're a tease. They you know they play well, but now the Packers are eight and eight. The Vikings are seven and nine, and Love had a good game. This is one of the good games that he had, so he played well. But this was a win, you know. This is again must win. Vikings are done. Backers are still in the playoff hunt. Those type of things. You have, you have like eight teams. I mean, I, I was debating: do we go through every single scenario? We would be have to have a twenty-hour show to show how every NFC team can get that final wild card spot. It's going to be crazy this final week, where everybody's going to be. That's what the NFL wanted when they added that spot. They wanted a team that, like, you know, it looks like could eight, there could be, you know, two, you know, eight and nine teams make the playoffs uh, at eight and nine for the seventh spot. Yeah, and speaking of a game that fits right into that mold, NFC South Saints and the Buccaneers. And we've been loving Baker Mayfield on this show, Ira. And he's having a good season, you know, all things considered. Wasn't a great game yesterday. Uh, Bucks couldn't get on the board until until the fourth quarter. Saints win 23-13. It doesn't matter. The record, and I was trying to pull it up, the record of the Saints and the Bucks is amazing. Like the Saints, even when Brady was there, he couldn't beat the Saints. And that one, it cost him an MVP. When I was at the game where it's like he was always going to do was win the Saints. They were a big favorite. And there was like a game where I think they were shut out or only scored three points. And that was the game that Aaron Rodgers passed him in the MVP race two years ago. And I'm like, wow. I mean, these Saints teams, even they could come in, they, whoever their coach is, whatever, they seem to have the Bucks number. They've always had the Bucks number. This is a terrible loss. I mean, the Bucks are riding high. They're playing great. The Saints have all the problems with injuries and stuff. And they come in, and now both teams are 8-8. Eight and eight. That whole uh, NFC South is, is just up in the air between the Saints, Bucks, and the Falcons. But uh, just a, just a bad loss for them, and and it's just at home when they had a chance to really you know clinch the division. And they, as I said, this is this is this is not good. I mean, they won four in a row. They were rolling, and they looked good. And, and they were four wins when they looked good against Atlanta and Green Bay and Jacksonville. And then just a, to, to just a terrible performance at home against New Orleans. Now, luckily for the Bucks, they're at Carolina, their final game, which seems like it's an easy win for anybody. Yeah, it really is. That's a, the doormat of the league. What you said is true, though. I mean, it doesn't matter the coach, the quarterback. The Saints just beat the Bucs in big spots. It really. It, we've seen Sean Payton, Drew Brees. It doesn't matter who it is. They, the Bucs seem to, to find ways to lose to the Saints, and uh, yesterday was no different. P- Patriots and Bills, and this is one people are on the Bills train. Like I said, they're the second pick in Vegas from the AFC. Going into this game, you know Belichick always does have a plan for Josh Allen, though. Contained him pretty well. Bills get the win, a must, uh, you know, a much needed win, twenty-seven to twenty-one, but not really selling me on, on the Bills as, as much as as I wanted to be going into the final week of the season. Well, and talk about coordinators and making a change. Since the Pills added Joe Brady uh, as their offensive coordinator, well, he was the. Uh, 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 to, they have just been a different team, totally different team. They are. Uh, Josh Allen has been a different quarterback. He's throwing the ball left, uh, less. They're running the ball more. Uh, it's just everything has changed from this team, and I think that's why they're different. I mean, they made the change at the right time in terms of, uh, of making uh, bringing Joe Brady in. Remember, Joe Brady was the coordinator 
under LSU when LSU had to be the greatest offensive season, maybe one of the greatest football teams of all time with Joe Burrow and Chase and Jefferson and, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and how tremendous they were winning the national championship. And then he sort of went into like Carolina. Carolina is the place where even the greatest minds go to tie, which is Carolina. It didn't work out for him as the offense coordinator there, but he comes into Buffalo and he's really made this turnaround and Josh Allen's playing great. And, uh, and that was a big win. So this really sets up for this week. I mean, this is going to be, this is crazy. There are scenarios where if Buffalo goes into Miami wins, they're going to be, you know, win the division. If they lose, they could be out of the playoffs. So this is a must, 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 you know, this is there. This is going to be great. And you know how Buffalo wants to come down to Miami win this game. It's going to be the Sunday night game too. So it'll be the last game of the whole NFL season, regular season. It's funny. We've kind of build uh, that Panthers team as the, the place where talent goes to die. And like you, who would have thought that, Obviously, the, the Panthers clinched the number one overall pick uh, with yesterday's loss. That pick goes to the Bears. Who would have thought that a, a prospect like a Jamison Williams would be thinking that the Bears is such a better alternative than getting drafted by the Panthers? But that that's where we are right now. That's how bad the Panthers are, that the Bears, who historically can't develop quarterbacks, can't develop any, anything, look like the better option. Right. I mean, no, it's just the, the Carolina and Bryce Young, it's just some games or you talk about Jordan Love and, and how what's, what's happening there, but they, they can't make a change. They can't figure it out. And then their owner supposedly dumped beer on a fan. He's sitting in the skybox. Like it's everything seems to go wrong with Carolina, uh, whoever the owner is. And it, it's been a mess. And, and, and for a team that, you know, they did have some great years there, but they really have, they're now they're the laughing stock of the NFL because now they're going to, they should have the number one pick and they had traded it away, which is crazy just to move up a couple spots in the draft. Yeah. I'm almost like scared to, to talk badly about David Tepper. He has a house in Miami. He could hear he could hear Ira on sports. He might come to the station and punch me. I, I don't know what I'm getting from this owner. Wild stuff in Carolina. So the other team that we just sp- spoke about, Chicago Bears, Falcons. Bears laid it on the Falcons, 37-17. And this is like another one where if you're in the Bears front office, what do we have in Justin Fields? I mean, you look good in this game. Is he a franchise quarterback? we got the number one pick. Now, there's a lot of rumors. He's been kind of linked to the Falcons for a year now. Like, do we move him to the Falcons for a second or third round pick and just start over? Like, I'm very confused. Regardless, Bears win. This game really meant nothing to nobody. Well, the Falcons are, are amazing, terrible, terrible loss for the Falcons in terms of, and the Justin Fields is just playing himself into, you know, what, what's going to happen next year for him. But I also, I, as I said, been saying, I think the whole year, I think Justin Fields can be the quarterback for the Falcons next year. Uh, it wouldn't wouldn't so. surprise me at all because it looks like it does look like he's a starter in the NFL at least for the time being. Is he the starter of the Bears? I don't know, it, but it does look like someone's going to find a place for him. And the Falcons, with all the skill position players they have and no quarterback, you have to just think like, what would happen if we just had someone here? And if it was someone as dynamic as Justin Fields, this could be a playoff team. But we're not going to know until something happens. This is Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's hop over to the college uh, slate, talk about what happened already. And Ira, I, I, I don't want to say that it's an unmitigated disaster, but it's kind of an unmitigated disaster. All these players not playing in bowl games, this has always happened. But now with the transfer portal, you've got players transferring as soon as the season's over, as soon as the regular season's over. So the bowl games are just kind of a disaster. We saw Florida State, I think, had, what, 40 players from their roster not play? Georgia crushed them. But this is just a bad look for the league. And and we were talking about this a, a week ago. They have to do something. I, I, I get that the transfer portal's there. It's not going anywhere. But maybe there has to be a way to just close it for a month and, and you know make these guys play this final game because we're getting a pretty, pretty, pretty garbage product on the field. 
Well, I think right now, my opinion is, I think that the biggest concern is, there was an article in CBS Sportsline about this. I think the biggest concern is the expanded college football playoffs. Will these players actually opt out of the playoffs? Because that would bring the end of college football if you really don't have a playoff and you don't have anything. So this is, I'm not as so concerned that the Holiday Bowl or the Texas Bowl and all these other bowls, and it, clearly you can't bet these games. The other problem with these games is that these teams are announcing that players are playing. Like Penn State had players that were practicing, that were on the field, that were super it up that didn't play in the game against Mississippi. So you cannot bet these games. It's an, it's unbettable. Like you, unless you have inside information which yeah, about who's going to play and who's not going to play, because they're not even making these announcements. These players are now going down saying we had them at the game. We chose not to play them. Some teams aren't even playing. They're drafting players, not even announcing anything. The players just who are, who are starters aren't even playing. And that's why these games really have not been competitive. I mean, we could go through some of these games, but and, and I want to say, well, this is the good sign or not. But, but most of these teams did not play with their starting quarterbacks. Most of these teams did not play with uh, their coaches even who moved. And and then you're left with, with weird situations. I mean, some teams, the, the only bowl game that I thought was great was Clemson, Kentucky. Clemson won 38-35. Dabo Sweeney, no opt-outs. They played great. They were 4-4. Four and four. They won the last five. Kentucky came in there. They played well, too. I thought it was a phenomenal game. And Clemson won at the end of the game. But short of that, I mean, you're looking at Notre Dame beat Oregon State. 40 to 8. Oregon State had lost their coach, lost their quarterback, lost their players. That was a disaster. The Georgia game was an embarrassment of football. 63 to 3. Florida State's playing fraternity guys out there. It was that was pathetic for that situation. And if we stop the talk that Florida State deserved to be in the Bowl playoff when they had 40 opt-outs for a bowl game of the magnitude of the Orange Bowl. And then, you know, then you're then you're left with, you know, with the, even the Cotton Bowl, Missouri, Ohio State. Ohio State down to the four-string quarterback and they lose to Missouri 14-3. They had Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't play in these games uh, it's just a mess all over and you know I, I just think that the biggest problem is is it, you, some some people came out like Miller Moss for USC Caleb Williams opts out Miller Moss threw for almost 400 yards six touchdowns and interception I mean just an amazing performance by the redshirt sophomore sophomore to be the quarterback at USC next year but you're right this is just but I think that I'm more concerned that when you go to the 12 team playoffs if they start opting out for the playoffs then you're then it's over. Then you, you know, then it's a disaster. So I think I'm more concerned about just let's not have them opt out for the playoffs because I think it's a it's a real possibility that could happen. You know, I'm seeing a ton on social media, Ira, and I'm a, a lot of them are probably Gators and Hurricanes fans. <laughs> But everyone's like, well, this is why Florida State didn't deserve to be in, you know, the 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 playoff. But this team stinks. They got crushed by Georgia. They had two players from their real team playing. Like this, you can't gauge this team based off what you saw versus Georgia. If if they were ready to go, obviously, you know, Jordan Travis getting hurt's a huge deal. But even the the backup Rotomaker, he's in the transfer uh, protocol. Who knows what that game would look like with him? Like, I'm not ready to bury Florida State. And for people saying, like, this team stinks, they didn't deserve to be there. They did deserve to be there. This wasn't the same team. But, yeah, what you said is absolutely true. If you're the 11 seed in, in the 12-team playoff, like, uh, do we think we could beat the one or two seed? I, I don't no, think so. I, Maybe I think I'm, I'm sitting I, this one out. Yeah, I think no, I don't. I think it's even the water. I think you're going to have a situation where remember you have to play the call. You're going to have to play four games plus the uh, conference championship game, which is you're going to go from playing 12 to 17 games. I think some players are going to say, you know, I'll play the 12, I'll play my 13th game. I'll play the conference championship game. We win the conference championship, then I'm done. I'm not going to play four games. I'm not going to play another three. I got to get ready for the NFL. So I think that's the big concern going to the 12 team playoff because this is the last time we're going to have this 14 playoff. Like no one's been really opting out. 
out of these 14 playoffs. It hasn't really happened uh, to, to that extent, but I could see going forward. But you do have Malik Murphy, like for Texas, you know, their backup quarterback went in the transfer portal. So, you know, if uh, there's an injury to yours, Arch Manning, who is a very, of course, a very good third string quarterback. But the point is that you did have a, 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 you know, Murphy was the quarterback for three games this year for Texas. So you did have that transfer portal even affecting a playoff team. It's it's just been wild, and it's just not a good look. Like, you, you want to put a good product on the field. Like you said, some of these bowls are just unwatchable. Like, because not only do you not know who's playing. Some, I think most I think most were terrible. I think most – I just – I've never seen this is the worst. I've, I mean, you turn on these games on, it's just awful. And uh, and some and it really is the motivation of these teams that come in come into these games, and it even affected the bowls that we talked about that first week because a lot of these teams that we were thinking they're not the Power Five conferences, a lot of those players are going to Power Five schools, so they were missing tons of players, just like Florida State were. So that's why the the quality of those games weren't so good. And uh, you know, and then but there were some things. I'll, I'll give it one other takeaway from the bowls: the Peach Bowl, Mississippi thirty-eight, Penn State twenty-five. Mississippi's only losses this year were at Georgia and at. at Alabama. Lane Kiffin has really stocked up on defense. He's brought up all, I think eight uh, star transfers for the transfer portal. Dart, their quarterback is back next year. He looked fantastic against Penn State. Penn State was, quote, the number one defense in the country. Penn State played. This is a really bad loss for Penn State. A big one for Mississippi. I think when you're looking at the SEC next year, totally loaded, of course, Alabama, Georgia. But everyone, I agree. Mississippi looks like they're the team with their defense improves. Again, they only had two losses this year. At Georgia, at Alabama, Alabama, you'll lose two places. Um, I think Mississippi definitely would have a shot to get in the cultural playoff next year and maybe win the national championship. This is Iron Sports, and we're so fortunate to have Bobby Burton from On Texas Football on to preview the Sugar Bowl between Texas and Washington. Thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports, Bobby. I appreciate it, Ira. How are you doing today? Great. I, you know, I went and asked all my friends that are big UT fans. I said, you know, who should I have on? And they all said, Bobby Burton, Bobby Burton. So I'm, got, I'm so happy that you're able to come on. I think I asked five different people and they all said you. So you are the expert on this. So this is, this is exciting. Um, I want to say I went down to Texas for a game this year. I saw Texas play Kansas and the app, it's my first time there. And the atmosphere was everything I thought it was going to be just simply amazing. You did a great job with the stadium. They fixed it all up, but just the, the atmosphere of the walk everything it was it was perfect yeah the 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 new athletic director chris del conte came over from uh tcu about five years ago and he's created a much better uh more fun atmosphere around the stadium pregame so there's all kinds of tailgating as well as i mean there's almost like a carnival like atmosphere in one one section for the kids so it's, it's been a lot of fun to watch it but of course uh, nothing to compare to what's happened on the field for the Longhorns this year. Yeah, I mean, this is your the history of the program is tremendous. The national championships are the '63 and '69. I'm a big Penn State fan. That was a year that was a call out of controversy of Texas and won that <laughs> '70. And then, of course, we all remember 2005. Vince Young, the one of the considered one of the greatest college football games ever played between USC and Texas. And then you went through coaches after Mac Brown left, at Charlie Strong, Tim Herman, just sort of this 500. And Texas was sort of an afterthought. But then hiring a Steve Car- Steve. Uh, Sarkeesian has really just now, and I saw that article you just wrote about it, the, what he's taken, he's now taken Texas to that next echelon, the next level. Yeah, he really has. I mean, he started off five and seven, Ira, then went eight and five last year and showed glimpses of, of being a really good team, but just never really cashed in. They lost a lot of close games. Every game they lost last year was by one score. Um, so they were eight and five with five one score losses. This year, they won all those one score games except for one against Oklahoma which is their heat their hated rival you know and so 
I just feel like he's got the program on rails right now. It's really going in the right direction. And I will tell you this, as, as someone who has followed football a long time, the one thing that Sark has done, he's really made the quarterback room elite. Um, and it's not just – and that's why I think Texas right now has staying power beyond this year. Um, it's not just Quinn Ewers, who I think is going to end up being a first-round draft pick probably next year, but also Arch Manning behind him. And he's got a bevy of young quarterbacks that he thinks are going to be pretty good. So I – I just feel like they've got the quarterback room figured out, and now it's about putting all the pieces around them. And when you're at a place like Texas, that's actually the easy part. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's like if, if you get the quarterback right at Miami or Florida or Florida State, you can kind of find the pieces around them, right? Um, that's the same way it is at Texas, and, and that's kind of what Sark's done at this point. And he's a different coach than he was at. He went to Washington, was successful there, then went to USC and had a, a you know just a bad falling out of the situation that was, and then sort of went to Alabama, got you know whatever everything the, the magic pixel pixel dust that Saban throws on these coaches and comes out, and now is just a much more innovative coach than he had been. I think that time in Alabama really helped him in terms of, and also maturity after over those years in terms of being a coach now. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, I don't think he, I mean, he doesn't shy away from the fact that he's a, an alcoholic and, you know, you don't, you never finish being an alcoholic. You just continue to be one, but don't, don't you remain sober. Right. And so I don't think he shies away from that discussion. And I think within that was a lot of self-discovery for him. And he talks about it pretty openly. He doesn't use it as a crutch. He uses it as an opportunity and, you know, from, from people that talk to him, he has changed um, from his 20s and 30s when he was a young wonderkind wonder <laughs> assistant uh, for Pete Carroll and those, those odd years, you know, for, for them when they were so good and with Matt Leinert, Mark Sanchez, those guys. He, he has changed from talking to people that have been around him uh, off and on, but it, it's not some sort of crazy change. It's just it feels like he's more comfortable in his own skin and he's tr- staying true to who he is. Did you find this year to be a distraction? It, was it the, the idea that the Texas is moving now to the SEC, Oklahoma's moving to the SEC, um, they're not going to be in the Big 12? How, they, it didn't seem to affect them that much. And they usually, you know, it seemed, but it just seemed like there was a lot of controversy and all the talking about this where Brett Yormack, the commissioner, was saying, I'm rooting for everybody but Texas and Oklahoma, that type of thing. Yeah, they even had, I tell you what, they used it as a little bit of a rallying cry. Uh, so they they had T-shirts printed up in the preseason called "Embrace the Hate." <laughs> <laughs> they were like, you know, we we got to make this, we got to turn this into something a little different because if we just sit back and take punches like we have been, uh, we're going to end up get, being the one that gets knocked out, you know. And so they really thought about it this off season and tried to to put some emphasis on, hey, we're going to go out the right way. Uh, this is our last season in the Big 12. We won the first Big 12 championship. Let's go win the last one we're a part of. <laughs> and then last year in Austin, you lost such a close game to Alabama. It was just an amazing, thrilling game. This year you go into Tuscaloosa and then you win 34-24. It was a dominant win. I think that had to just been a shot in arm for the entire program and for the team to go into Tuscaloosa and have a win. I mean, it's unheard of to go to Alabama and win a game like that. Um, that must have really helped so much in terms of just the momentum for the season. Momentum for the season, I think it's a turning point for Steve Sarkeesian as a head coach. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian had not been a great head coach until maybe this year. This is his best year ever as a head coach. 
And I think it was a turning point that proved to himself a little bit, hey, I can do this, my guys can do this. And for the Texas players who've been so down over the last, you know, 10 years or so, Ira, they, they just haven't been a very good team. Uh, yeah, they've had a couple of wins. They beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl about five years back. But it hasn't been that same Texas team a lot of people are used to. Sark got them back in the right headspace. He's built the, the roster the right, right way. I just feel like they've got a uh, they've got a situation right now that is that they can build on. I don't think this is going to be a one year wonder or one hit wonder for Texas. And I just wanted to touch on the Kansas game for a second that I was at. And Jonathan Brooks, the running back for Texas, who's injured now and not playing in the in the game. But one of the most I've seen so many football games in my life, and it was one of the most impressive running back performances I've ever seen in terms of his dominance. He rushed for 218 yards and was just a, almost you could tackle him every time he touched the ball. He scored a touchdown. It seemed like, and it was it's disappointing that Jonathan isn't able to make it into into the college football playoffs with his injury. It's horrible. I mean, it was a bad injury. It was a it looked like a nondescript tackle, and it ended up, ended up being a torn ACL against TCU. And he's been out ever since. Um, he is very meaningful for the team because the, the thing about Jonathan Brooks is he was kind of uh, indicative of the team as a whole that, that, uh, in this way. If you think about the NFL draft, Bijan Robinson went number, what, eight overall. He was the, the Texas running back. And then they had a backup running back that was kind of the leader of the team last year. His name's Roshan Johnson. Well, he went in the fourth round of the Chicago Bears. Jonathan Brooks didn't get much playing time at all last year. And all of a sudden, now he gets his chance to shine, and he just absolutely kills it. And then, you know, three-quarters of the way into the season, they lose him to a knee injury. So, uh, yet still, the team bounced back, you know. And that's kind of been what Texas has been about this year. Every time they've been knocked down, whether it was a loss at, uh, I guess, Oklahoma uh, whether it was a, a close win against an uh, overtime win against Kansas State, they've always kind of found a way to bounce back and uh, come back maybe a little stronger than they were the week before. I mean, this was a, a, a weird year in terms of the Oklahoma loss. Then you come back, you play Houston, and Quinn Ewers is injured in the game. You still win that game with Malik Murphy. Kansas State, as you mentioned, was at overtime. And then the CCU game, 29-26. So it was, you had some close games in those middle of the year, but just not getting that second loss, that's why you're playing. You know, if you got that second loss, you're out. You know, you're not in the playoff. You're not in consideration. But, but avoiding that second loss is the reason why uh, Texas is playing for, you know, with the chance to win the national championship. Yeah, that and that and the win against Alabama, you know, it, 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 that I think that cemented it because the the playoff committee, as you know, they could not have put Alabama in over Texas when Texas had a and a double digit win over them at home, right? And I think that along with the, the performance in Tuscaloosa and the way they finished the season, uh, you mentioned Kansas State. That overtime win was with Malik Murphy as the quarterback. Uh, the back, he was the backup for Texas this year until he trans, hit the transfer portal just now, about a week ago, and is headed to Duke. But, but Ira, you take all of that into consideration. And again, I, I just come back to resilience and a few playmakers. Ewers is one of them. Xavier Worthy, the wide receiver, is one. Adonai Mitchell is another. Um, they've got several different playmakers uh, that can, can really make big plays when it counts. And those guys are invaluable. 
Yeah, and I have a ton of Florida State fans. And but if you look at how Florida State ended the season, you know they finished undefeated, but it was a close games. They didn't look too well. Your last two games: Texas Tech fifty-seven to seven, Oklahoma State forty-nine twenty-one. Just total blowouts and domination. Again, that the finishing strong has to give you the momentum to go into the Washington game, thinking, "Look, our last two games, we had two complete blowouts on the biggest stage." They're definitely peaking. They at least they were at the end of the season. That was the best they had played all year outside of the Alabama game, those last two games. Um, they were both dominant wins, clear wins. I think it's more of Quinn Ewers maturing and the team believing in themselves more and more that they hey, we can do this. We can get to we can get past uh, get past all these teams and make it to where it counts. I mean personally I feel horrible for Florida State. I mean I they did everything they could possibly put do and put in front of them. Uh, but uh, you know, look I don't think Florida State would have beat Texas this year. I'll just put it that way. Not with, not without Jordan Travis. Texas, as good as Florida State's defense could be at times, Texas is going to score at least 25 to 30 points on just about anybody, including a team like Florida State or Alabama or whoever they, they get put in front of. So I went to the Kansas game, as I said, and, and I was there like two hours before the game. First person in the stadium, it seems like. And, and I love to watch the quarterbacks warm up. And then when they're not in their uniform, but they're just in the shorts and a t-shirt. And just watch Quinn Ewers warm up and not just warm up, but talk to all the players. Just it seemed like he went on the field just staring, like visualizing the game. It was just so impressed by his, his just demeanor before the game. He wasn't goofing off, wasn't having fun. He was relaxed, but it seemed like he was just sinking it all in. And this was just, you know, a game against Kansas. I was extremely impressed by just his preparation for that game really good quarterback he's still learning um the thought right now i, I spoke to his would-be agent i guess is the best way to put it <laughs> uh, currently he's, he's currently his marketing rep right because they have nil now and he is expected to return next year um and i think that texas is like i said the one of the reasons i believe texas is is, is in the position they're in right now has to do with their their play at quarterback and who they've got in the pipeline at quarterback, plus what they're doing in, on the recruiting trail. I mean, Miami, as you know, just had a great recruiting class. Well, Texas had a great recruiting And they're, they're uh, absolutely uh, doing some great things there. I, I just feel like Texas, whether it's Quinn Ewers or a young guy like Anthony Hill, a defensive, uh, or excuse me, a linebacker that has caused, I think, four or five turnovers this year, they, they've got playmakers as well as good players. I, I think they've always had good players. The difference was that Texas the last 10 years or so didn't necessarily have playmakers. They're starting to get playmakers again, and that, that's when great things happen. And then there was all this controversy before the year started. They say, well, Arch Manning is going to be the quarterback. He's going to beat out Quinn Ewers. But people that I know were close to the program were like, no, they thought Quinn Ewers was going to be the quarterback. And Arch Manning was not going to get that. And it was a lot of noise outside of Texas, not inside Texas. And they love Arch Manning, but they feel that, you know, this is Quinn Ewers' team and he was easily going to have it. And if he comes back next year, he'll be the starting quarterback next year. Yes, uh, that, that's definitely the case. Um, Steve Sarkeesian called, uh, called, Quinn the starter after spring to, to kind of quiet all skeptics. And I think it worked out for him. You know, I mean, uh, yes, Arch Manning is insanely talented, by the way. The people that were saying he's just a he's just a guy because of his last name, I, I think they need to wait and see. Uh, because the times that he's played have been outstanding. Uh, there's been some talk of him being uh, as good as anybody in the program at times, at quarterback already. Uh, so, there's been a lot of distractions that could have happened. We talked about those at the start with the last year of the SEC, uh, et cetera. Uh, but Texas somehow found a way 
to get through all of those distractions and try to put it all in place. I think Sark has been a, a tremendous steward of the program uh, and kind of driving that home. And I think that the players have kind of bought into it. It's, it's kind of the us against the world mentality that uh, sometimes you need to, to, to find a common ground or a common theme to grab onto. And they've done that. And on the defensive side of the ball, Tavondre Sweat, uh, defensive lineman, tremendous. Who are some of the other players that on the Texas defense that you think would you know make the big play? And also people that are, we can look at a lot of you know team, a lot of fans watch these games. You know they don't watch college football so much because they're like, who's going to play next year in the NFL? Who's who's going to be drafted in the first round? So this is a chance for them this, to to watch these players. Yeah, I, you mentioned Tavondre Sweat. He's the one that won the outland. He's six foot four, three hundred and sixty pounds. When he entered college, he was. Six foot four, two hundred and sixty pounds. Oh so he's, he's added. He's had a, cl- a clean one hundred. He had a he had a good day at the buffet. Um, the the you, you had him. Byron Murphy is another interior defensive lineman. Murphy actually has more disruptive numbers than Sweat. Sweat's more of that prototypical big interior guy that sometimes can get after the quarterback. Murphy's that three hundred and ten, three hundred and fifteen pound guy that just gets off the ball really quickly. And he's going to be, he's only a junior, but he's already been invited to the senior bowl and all those sorts of things. Um, and so he's going to be a guy. I mentioned Anthony Hill. He's a freshman linebacker that has made play after play this year. Uh, just kind of scintillating plays. He's kind of one of those guys where you just go, Oh, he's a future NFL guy. Right. Um, they also have a senior linebacker named Jalen Ford who led the team in tackles. Um, Manny Muhammad is a freshman cornerback that has had a couple of picks in uh, of late. They, they've got a well-rounded defense, but really they've got the majority of their star power on offense, in my opinion. And, and that's Quinn Ewers, Adonai Mitchell, uh, as well as Xavier Worthy. Well, it's going to be exciting time in the Sugar Bowl. A lot of Texas fans, I'm sure, will be there. It's going to be almost feels like a home a home game a little bit, considering the proximity of Austin to New Orleans. But uh, so excited to have you on our show, Bobby, to talk about Texas football. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, Ira. You, y'all have a good one, and uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thank you so much. Awesome stuff there with Bobby Burton here on Ira on Sports. So, Ira, you are obviously uh, just attended the Rose Bowl. Uh, We taped the show earlier in the day, so we don't know what's going to happen. However, we still have coming up Texas and Washington. I, I'm kind of torn on this one, Ira. I, I'm giving Washington a shot here. I don't think many people are. What do you think happens tonight? I remember I've, I've watched, I've seen almost every team play every game, either on TV or, of course, in person for Texas. I, I think that I think I'm not sold on Texas. I think that Texas defensively gives up a lot of big plays. I think Washington makes a lot of big plays. I think Penix is going to have a huge game. I think the way when Washington struggled a lot, even though they when they were when it was rainy conditions, they're going to be playing on a fast turf. It's inside. I think you're going to see Penix make some big passes. I think Washington wins this game. I think they have a number of big plays. I think they run the ball well. And uh, I think they're going to win handily. I don't think this – I think they're going to be surprised. This could be like a two-touchdown game of Washington over Texas. On behalf of everyone here on the Ira on Sports team, we want to wish you a very happy new year. We are out of time, though. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Ira on Sports.